Welcome to VSC 91.3 FM. If you just tuned in, 89.8, 90.9, as well as www.vscfm.co.za out in the World Wide Web. My name is Mohamed Fasih Peterson. Of course, this is The Burning Issue, where we keep the pulse on issues relevant to our community. Tonight, we try and unpack the fight over fishing rights for small-scale fishing communities. And the question we are asking, should government suspend the lobster fishing rights allocation process? Uh, we have many community voices on this topic and uh, issue, uh, issue, the issue of our fishing communities in the West Coast, or on the coast that other, uh, feel very passionate about that. And of course we want to hear from you. Reminder that our lines are open uh, during the show at certain times and you can call us up 021-442-3530-47913 or 072-238-0712 if you want to WhatsApp us. Uh, if you are affected uh, directly, if you are a fisherman or if you are, you know, you grew up in a fishing household, how do you feel, uh, you know, this is going to impact or uh, on, 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 on uh, you know, particularly subsistence uh, fishermen as well. Now, as we know, uh, this week, Outbait dominated the news uh, headlines as protests over fishing rights and housing uh, erupted. Similar to the protests in September 2011, police were called to maintain order when a group of disgruntled fishers and residents staged a violent protest in Harbour Road, burning tyres and rubble. Police fired back with stun grenades, tear gas and rubber bullets in the chaos, a nine-year-old boy was caught in the protest and shot by police with a rubber bullet in the mouth. Tonight we want to try and uncover what led to this protest and what are the underlying issues that have been simmering in the fishing community. Uh, what we know is that fishermen are demanding the immediate suspension of the West Coast rock lobster fishing rights allocation process. They want the West Coast rock lobster offshore allocations shifted from big companies to nearshore and small scale fishers. We are aware that fishing rights organizations have met with the Department of Fisheries to address the challenges faced by poor fishing communities. So this evening we chat to those on the ground, uh, or rather at sea, uh, pun intended there. Late in the show we'll be joined by the Massifundice Trust fishing activists as well as representatives of the Department of Fisheries. And of course we value input, so do participate in the show. Uh, we will open the lines later once we get the discussion going. Joining me in the first segment, Nasir Jaffa. Uh, from Massifundice is the director of the then also we have online Pedro Garcia South African United uh, Fishers Front Chairperson gentlemen good evening and welcome to the show good evening good evening um, I want to start uh, Nasih I want to start off with you and uh, just quickly looking at uh, what has been said now we know that fishing communities say they are struggling to survive due to the Department of Forestry and Fisheries and recent fishing quota allocations which they claim favor large companies at the expense of new entrants now take us through what the root of this issue is from your perspective okay firstly there is no such thing as new entrants <laughs> And secondly, uh, large companies have always been around in the fishing industry. So let's understand the difference between the two. Firstly, large companies have been around and they've been allocated fishing quotas and fishing rights for profit purposes. And they've made huge amount of dollars out of that. There's been no transformation that government has spearheaded to change that. From a community perspective, and these are what some people mistakenly call new entrants, we have fishing communities that have actually been fishing communities 
four generations. They are not new entrants. They've been there. They have existed. They've existed forever. So those are the communities that must get the fishing rights. And we're saying that is where government is going wrong. The, the way they structure the allocation of fishing rights favors commercial companies that exports for private gain at the expense of small-scale fishing communities who fish for livelihoods, whether it is lionfish or lobster. But lobster, in this case, is the big issue because the, the, the season opens shortly. And the way government is going about to allocate who is going to get what out of what is available, they are again favoring commercial companies versus small-scale communities. And our argument is, as it's always been, communities who make their livelihoods out of fishing, lobster, those are the communities that must be supported and who must get the right. Uh, Masih, if I can just ask you then, um, obviously you you alluding to the fact that bigger uh, or large scale, uh, you know, uh, trawlers or fishing companies are benefiting uh, more than uh, small scale fishers. Uh, the question then beckons, uh, obviously the understanding around quotas for fishing uh, is, uh, there's always a talk about sustainability of fishing for the long term. Um, but if you look at this in terms of from the, you know, small scale fishers perspective, uh, do you think that um, the 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 uh, large-scale uh, fishing industry or corporate industry, so to speak, is being taxed in the same way uh, in terms of the quotas proportionate to what f- uh, sm- small-scale farmers are, or do you feel that um, there is uh, that uh, you know uh, that there's that imbalance there? No, we think there's a, there's a fundamental and structural problem in the way government is allocating fishing rights. And that structural problem lies in the fact that people who fish purely commercially, they only fish to make money. They don't have to make a livelihood or they don't have to pay rent or buy food. They want to make profit. But the fishers in small-scale fishing communities who live, who catch fish in order to put food on the table and to buy bread and to pay for school fees and so on, those are the fishers who must benefit from from the allocation of fishing rights. So the, the structural problem lies in who government is allocating fishing rights to. And as it stands now, government is preferring to give fishing rights allocations to to the corporates and to corporate companies at the expense of people who need it to make a living. So that's the difference we must understand. We're not saying don't give fishing rights, but we're saying give the rights to people who need to make a living. And that that is small scale. That is communities. And we are further arguing don't even give to commercial if there's not enough fish around. The, for for industry, but there is enough fish to give to to small scale. So, allocate or design the system around what is for livelihood purposes, and that is the argument that we've been putting forward for years now. And somehow, government is not listening, unfortunately.
Pedro, I have to bring you in here from South African United uh, Fishers Front. Uh, I want to ask you the same question in terms of just uh, latching on to what uh, Nasiha says. Do you agree in the sense that um, small-scale fishers uh, are being, uh, should I say, uh, are being disadvantaged uh, at the at the at the or rather it's at the expense uh, that uh, large scale or corporate uh, you know fishing trawlers or companies uh, are benefiting and that they're not seeing are, are we are we see, not seeing a reduction as drastic in quota f- in terms of from the commercial sector as we're seeing with small scale fishers. Look, I, I have to concur with what Narcis have just said uh, regarding the the communities. There can be no doubt. That, that uh, the government panders to, to big industry in terms of the fisheries rights allocations. Um, one just had to look at the responses that the minister had made uh, in the Viking uh, fishing saga around the Hague when he, when he stated that um, Viking can certainly absorb uh, the job losses into other sectors which they have also been allocated in. In addition to that, they also harvest for nearshore uh, rights holders. And in addition to that, they also control the market. So um, what are we left with? Literally nothing. It's a huge challenge which needs to be addressed. Now, we might have interacted with the minister yesterday, but yesterday, between, between yesterday and today, we had gone from being cautiously optimistic to now being cautious. Because there doesn't seem to be that will to want to, to remedy the situation on the ground. And it's a very sad situation because we have areas which are now volatile. And we couldn't come back to our people today with an answer. Whenever we are when asked about the allocations processes, when we are asked about the, the, the trap system, getting rid of the trap system, which we feel is damaging not just the, the, the seabed or the coddle, but it, it's, it's damaging the, the resource itself. Why are we so adamant? Why are we so determined that big companies must be sitting with these rights when we have such huge challenges at the grassroots level? Our people are literally going to bed without food at night. There's no doubt about that. There's families that can't support their, 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 their children or fishermen who can't support their families. And government is aware of this. We had two golden opportunities. 2013, uh, threat allocation processes, 2015-16, where we had an opportunity as a nation, as a country, to remedy that situation. Because during the threat processes, the rights revert back to the state. And the state then had the power to, to implement the necessary transformation that was required within the industry and also restoring the rights um, to, to disenfranchise the fishing communities. We trample upon historical, traditional, ancestral rights like it's, like it's absolutely nothing. But barring that, the fact that we now find ourselves in a situation where people cannot make ends meet, we are now also trampling on the human rights. A man without food is an angry man. A man without food doesn't have dignity. A man who can't support his family is without employment, which are basic, basic rights are now being uh, trampled on, on a daily basis. Uh, wh- and, and, uh, wh- and, and for such a volatile situation to exist and, and to have a, an, an almost immediate uh, solution and not to react 
that is very, very disappointing. Uh, on that, I just want to maybe perhaps go back to that, but I want to touch on another issue with regard to permits. Uh, now, in 2007, after a group of fishermen won a case in the Equality Court, uh, the department uh, had uh, instituted or comp- uh, was compelled to develop an interim relief permit system. Now, obviously, this uh, allocates short-term permits uh, of between four to eight months to small-scale fishers. Uh, is it true that now, ten years later, after uh, this this interim, uh, you know, uh, action was taken, uh, that this temporary solution is still in effect and uh, still is beset with problems? Well, it's, not only is it beset with problems, but it, it's, it's the only uh, form of, of survival which is now available to the fishermen. Because at, at least through the actions of other organizations, when they brought about the court action, the, the Equality Court has ruled that interim relief dispensation will remain in force until a small-scale policy can, re- can be implemented. And that is the saving grace right now. And then also, um, we've spoken early on, uh, I think, or right at the start, about transformation. And uh, I want to ask the question then again, and just maybe reframe it. Why has there been such slow progress with respect to transformation in the fishery sector, particularly, and asking the question around why have fishermen, you know, for lack of a better, you know, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, not benefited from the sea, as you've spoken about the fact that there's this legacy of, uh, you know, living off the ocean, especially around our coastal areas? Look, once again, it's, it's about perhaps a, a very, uh, um, the virtues and probably corrupt relationship between officials and, and, and big companies who, who march in with lawyers and, and, can, and can demand and dictate um, and have resources moved to, to, to their companies. I, it's, you know, it, it's almost common knowledge. And as much as the minister is, is, has committed himself to cleaning up the corruption, uh, they, are, they are dealing with a legacy uh, that, that, that ties itself up uh, for years because of the duration of fishing rights. And, and these rights, which now reside with the big companies, in many cases, if we don't uh, uh, um, you know, take away from them, then it also means that we have to wait another 10, 15 years. That's a lifetime for somebody who, has an, who doesn't have a form of income. Mm. Can I can can I come in on this? No, sir, you, you I agree with Pedro completely, but I want to give a slightly different take. That I think that when government in this new democracy that we have developed a a new fishing rights allocation system, that system was devoid of a human value. It did not have a human face to it. All it wanted to do was to support people who wanted to make money. And more money and more money. I think government went wrong right at that point already. And, you know, in that process, the communities who had a culture and a custom of living off the ocean to feed themselves and to make a living off it lost out. So democracy under the ANC government for people in fishing communities did not happen. And I think that is what we must face up with. And that is what I think our current government must come to terms with. You know, that the, it, it, just not, it did not happen for communities. Their right allocation systems did not work. The structure and design of it 
is where the problem lies. That that structure, when we say that we govern democracy, is to govern for the people by the people. You know, the, the current fishing legislation and the fishing policy does not live up to that. That is where the problem lies. So policy and and even though we support and we were part of developing the new small-scale fishing policy, what government is implementing now is not the new scale, the, the new small-scale policy. It is something foreign to us. Okay, shukran so much. Um, that, of course, uh, Nasih Jaffer, Masih Fundisi, uh, Director. I want to say shukran so much, uh, so much to you. We're going to have to greet you at this point. We will be keeping Pedro on for the next segment, however. But I want to say shukran for your participation this evening. We'll also be joined by Charles Medica, representative from Ocean View of its Sand Artisanal Fish and Fishers uh, Association. And, of course, we continue to look at the issue around fishing uh, of our waters and uh, should government suspend the lobster fishing rights allocation and of course we're asking the question should government suspend the lobster fishing rights allocation uh, now we, we this in in uh, this of course uh, in light of the uh, ongoing uh, fight for decent fishing rights in South Africa we saw last week's protest in Hout Bay which cast uh, the uh, issue of the struggle of small-scale fishing communities back into focus uh, and of course understanding the need to survive uh, within this industry uh, with the challenges that it is being faced by small scale f- small scale fishers uh, or, or fishermen rather now we want to understand what the crux of the issue is and uh, I think now we're going to get a little bit more intimate in understanding this by by speaking to uh, speaking on the level of the fisherman himself and of course we still have online with us uh, Pedro Garcia South African a United Fishers Front uh, chairperson also now joined by Charles America uh, he's the representative of Ocean View of its and Art- Artisanal Fishers Association and of course uh, we'll be chatting as I mentioned about uh, fishermen and their plight and, and the challenges they face particularly under the circumstances that have prevailed particularly for the last 10 years I think we want to examine but uh, Charles I want to welcome you to the discussion at this point uh, good evening <coughs> Okay, I think we'd lost Charles there. We'll just try and get him back. But of course, before the break, uh, we were speaking to uh, Peter Garcia, uh, also speaking to um, Nasik Jaffa. And one of the things that came out uh, that was mentioned is that uh, uh, we, we speak about new entrants into the, the, the um, fishing industry. However, uh, they've mentioned that there are no new entrants into the, into, into the industry. Also, uh, there have been claims of no transformation within the fishing sector. Um, and, and of course, uh, also saying that, uh, ac- according to them, at least government tends to favour corporate fishing industry over small-scale fishers. Uh, but for more on that, we now chat to Charles America, uh, who's joined us back online. Charles, uh, good evening, welcome to the Burning Issue. Good evening, Salam, and Yeah, I'm from Ocean View, a, a very neglected uh, uh, coastal community with a small contingency of, of artisanal fishers, full-time fishery-reliant fisher folk that's trying to eke out a living under the current um, almost impossible conditions that uh, the Department of Fisheries has placed us. Um, as we very well know, that fishers in this country is being managed on behalf of the corporate monopoly cartel, which is your so-called large-scale industrial fishing um, um, uh, companies. And uh, what has happened over the years is um, they have now become 
the, the fish guards uh, in terms of access to the resource, uh, while the Department of Fisheries address um, have become the gatekeepers to this type of uh, arrangement. That has led to more stringent and more uh, fish unfriendly policies and regulations being imposed upon fishers, which led to the, the strategic um, alienation and uh, at times even the demise of, of, of cultural uh, fishing uh, traditions that has been part of uh, uh, South Africa's history for since time immemorial. And now we find ourselves with a whole new dispensation that very clearly favors um, the complete um, encroachment of, of industrialized fisheries right into these small, small communities, small zones where traditional fishers used to operate. There seems to be no no concern or regard for fishers that have made a livelihood out of fishing. And um, as gatekeepers, we find that department officials, seem, uh, to me, they are pure, purely uh, politically deployed traders that uh, exercises the, the dictates of their masters, which is the big conglomerates. Um, beyond that also we have, uh, if we go back and we say 1994, we look at um, the, the transformation ideals of the government. And uh, we look at what has happened since then. When we've seen the complete uh, opposite of, uh, of what the ideals were, we now have a, a what they call a small tail fishing uh, about to enter into the, the, the fray, while um, nothing, has, nothing, uh, has been, nothing in terms of value has been placed upon the, the type of basket of fishing resources they are hoping to give. And this is so strange when we, we think about it, that most of the countries. Um, valuable, commercially valuable resources have already been allocated, reserved to the offshore uh, big companies. What does it leave us, our people with? Absolutely nothing other than uh, subhuman uh, subsistence fishing, fishing resources. Uh, Charles, Charles, if I can maybe just ask you then, um, in, light of, in light of what you mentioned, um, it, the, 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 obviously the allegations that these, uh, I understand from what you're saying, or gather from what you're saying, that there's corruption in the industry, uh, but then also uh, when, when, when we talk about uh, quotas, uh, the, the issue always comes about, well, uh, this is uh, as a result of uh, trying to make our fishing within you know, our coastal regions sustainable for the next 10, 20, 30 years. That's why we need to have quotas in place. Uh, but obviously, again, what you're saying is that there's an imbalance in the system. So how would you, if you had the opportunity to address this issue, if you had the opportunity if, uh, with, at, within your, your hands to be able to change the uh, fishing industry to make it more fair. What would you, uh, if you had that power, what would you do? Yeah, no, um, you know, it, it's become such a complex thing that uh, I've been asked this question maybe a million times. And for every, uh, all, every question, I had uh, not a different answer, but it just becomes more and more. And I'm, be, I'm exhausted when it comes to this type of thing. You know, if we had a government that had the political will, that had the courage, that had the, the bravery, to assert what the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the Freedom Charter uh, espouses, then surely we would have something else. But unfortunately, even those those ideals have been hijacked. It's been distorted, it's been corrupted. But a fisheries policy that is built on dualism, like our South African fishing policy at the moment, which says offshore, big companies must have the lion's share, and the rest of us here on the coastline, the the the... the multitude of, of coastal communities must settle for, uh, you know, something that is 
this type of subsistence fishing. And you expect to deal with uh, social development. You, 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 one tries to look at equitable access. We want to have inclusive um, economic growth. Then those things are pie in the sky. It is impossible. We need to have a government that serves the interests of the people first and not just cronies that have now taken up uh, positions around the boardrooms of these former white companies. We need to look and say we need to redistribute. We need to equitably redistribute the total allowable catches as per the scientific uh, findings. We need to protect those uh, restitution um, processes so that everybody can share in the wealth of this country. At this moment, we are trying to conserve, as small people, we are told to conserve while we see big conglomerates actually depleting the resources. And there is no end to this type of overcatching, underregulated catching, unreported catching. It is just going one way, and that is depleting the resources. You know, the sad thing about this is the casualties will be those of us on the ground here that won't have food to feed, feed out our households with. And this is at the behest of those big conglomerates that controls every whim, every breath of, 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 of a policy in this country. And you know what? We have found that government officials, as they sit there, they become the gatekeepers, the instruments, the tools that actually facilitate this type of thing. So first of all, uh, Charles? I will do, should I be the minister or be in charge? I will disinfect, morally disinfect that department. Charles, if I, if, if I may just ask you a question, because we, we, we are running out of time, but I just want to ask you one question, uh, particularly that I think is, is really key to the discussion. That is, um, if we're looking at, um, uh, uh, you know, small-scale fishers, and uh, when we look at uh, economic development, and we know that, that in 2014, President Jacob Zuma, in his State of the Nation, had just mentioned that, uh, you know, there's about, I think, 170 billion rand that uh, government is looking to, you know, haul from the oceans in terms of profit uh, between now and twi- between 2014 and 2033. So saying that there is a lot of, you know, econom- uh, economic uh, benefit to be held from the ocean. But uh, what would you say uh, is the, 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 the argument that can be made for small-scale fishers and and, ha- and how they might contribute to the economy uh, because they seem to be quite a small cog in the wheel according to, you know, the, 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 the broader understanding. And, and um, no, on the contrary, small-scale fisheries have so much more potential than your big conglomerate. If you look in terms of if you want to create a, a economic growth in, uh, in line with economic development, then small-scale is the way to go, providing... That small scale is given the resources, the opportunities, and the and the extension support services like all other industries or sectors have had. Then only small scale fishes can become something viable, something notable. And you know what? Creating jobs—that is the first thing that will happen. Protecting the environment, being soft on the environment, ecologically friendly—all those qualities is built into small scale fisheries. But unfortunately, those things count very little when we use precautionary measures as a, as a, a escape route to say, no, we cannot give to so many people quotas because um, there's too little in the sea for everybody. But if we look at what, what is held by the big companies, what they what is reserved for them, then this, thing, this is a complete contradictory to what this government really needs to do. It has completely deviated from those principles and those ideals. Um, small-scale fisheries has bigger returns than any other sector can produce in this country at this moment. We have the resources, we have the people, we have the know-how, 
We have got everything in place. We just lack the political will or we lack the liberation of our government now from this capture state that we can start doing the things we need to do. Um, and not, this is not foreign to government. It is simply reluctant. It is completely contentious in terms of redistributing the resources so that we can grow. We have less liabilities, armies of liabilities in our communities, and we have more assets and contributors towards the GDP. Uh, if I can just maybe just direct my next question to Pedro. Are you still with us? Yes, uh, Pedro. If we look at if if we look at what is being said, and uh, we try and understand, uh, you know, the, the the restrictions placed on 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 small scale fishers and uh, small scale fishers saying that you know uh, with with reduced quotas, that means I won't be able to uh, put enough food on the table for my family. How would you say that you know restrictions on small scale fishing impacts upon poaching, particularly? Of course, it's going to it's going to impact heavily on poaching, because these people, many of them, there are no alternative livelihoods within the areas. You must remember that many of our fishing communities still are, are still extremely remote, um, and there are no other forms of income for them. So, if you reduce the quota um, by let's say plus minus fifty nine percent, there is no way that whatever is granted to that person. It's going to make any economic sense to him or his family. He is then in an area where he has no access to other uh, sources of income. Uh, he, he or she, uh, uh, they then forced uh, to, to poach for a living. It's, it, it's, it's sad because it's, it's a way of, of criminalizing our people, something which we shouldn't be there in the first instance. I, the, the, the sad part about South Africa is that we seem to be working quite contrary to the rest of the world. Uh, in terms of small-scale fishing. Um, countries like Cambodia have de-industrialized. De um, if you look at Indonesia, within a matter of one year, the uh, small-scale fishers saw a 10% improvement in their income, which is significant. But that was because government had demonstrated the will to protect the small-scale fishing industry. The other thing, of course, is that small-scale fishing contributes, I think, is close to about 70% or 80% of, of global fish. And that is millions of people that we're talking about. Um, we, we have to look at what is happening around the rest of the world and use those benchmarks. We can't go on the way that we are going on. In South Africa, 90% of the resources are residing with the big companies, while 90% of the people are sitting with 10% of the resources. And sadly, that 10%, especially the high-value species like West Coast Rock Lobster and Abalone, are still being manipulated and monopolized by the big companies because they sit at the high end of the value chain. And we have marketers in the middle of this who have exploited the ignorance of our people for, for years. And in my opinion, that, that is a, it's a breach of a human right. When you know that people are, are don't fully understand the complexities of, of, of value chains and you, you manipulate and, and you extract for, for self-gain. So... We have to look at, look, in some instances, some of the allocations can actually make economic sense. And just to give you an example, a man goes out, he catches 100 snook. He comes back, he gets maybe 20 rand a snook. The next day he goes out, he catches 200. He comes back, he gets 5 rand or 10 rand for, for, for the same snook. So your, your effort is, is, is doubled, but your income stays the same. But this is because it's, the, the markets are, are, are manipulated and, like I said, monopolized by the middlemen, the marketers, who exploit our people, tie them into all sorts of debt traps uh, with contracts that, that are not legal, 
or, or binding for that matter, and, and then they sell it off to the big companies who then put it on the export markets um, at ridiculous prices and huge profit margins. And I, I, I think it's time that we, we let marketers especially know out there that we know who you are. We know you're exploiting our people. We know that if you don't put up that, that huge commission that our people could actually survive, they don't have to compromise their own resources because now you can catch 10 crayfish instead of having to go out to catch 100 crayfish. So these are all the contributing factors here. Big companies, South Africa's big companies are all listed on the JSE. My goodness, in which country do things like this happen? And we should send a message out to, to the shareholders of these big companies as well. We, we cannot, uh, um, we, we, we don't deprive people or, or deny them the right to, to, to identify uh, good investments. But to all the investors there, when you get your dividend from, 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 your, from your, your company shares, just remember that that dividend is taking food out of, out of a child's mouth in one of our fishing communities. We need to be clear. We need to, we, we need to start taking the model high ground here and make people aware of the fact that we're in an extraordinary situation in South Africa. We must look after our people. We have constitutional imperatives, which we are blatantly ignoring. We have opportunity after opportunity to remedy the situation, but we ignore it. I don't want to, to, to find myself in a situation where I don't want to talk to the custodian, because it is necessary that we have a custodian of the resources. But by the same token, the custodian must also fulfill their commitment as government towards the people of this country. And then also, uh, going back to Charles, I think we only have two more minutes before we do have to break again and take our, uh, uh, our, our package for the Wakta Bishar, but we will be back with you guys again. Just, uh, Charles, if linking on to what has been said uh, by uh, Pedro very quickly, uh, your, your views on, um, uh, you know, if we look at uh, the small-scale fishermen, uh, the understanding that, um, you know, there is, uh, uh, if we're talking about sustainability, he's mentioned that this model of, uh, you know, fishing uh, on small scale is sustainable, that uh, small-scale farmers do take care of the ocean, uh, that they do not leave as much of an eco-footprint, if I can call it that. What, what, you, what is your opinion on, on what has been said there? No, no, that's all correct. It's all in line with what is happening now. It's, a, it's, a, it's basically a very graphic illustration of where we find ourselves now at this moment. You know, you look at where we, the, the, the policy we work from that it dictates uh, policy and regulations. Uh, it is the Marine Living Resources Act, which was um, essentially an industrialized, uh, pro-industrialized policy. And um, for my token participation in 1994, in the writing of the policy in 1994 to 1998, uh, we were only there to to, uh, to 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 give the impression that it's a policy, it's an inclusive policy. And yet, at the end of the policy, it's completely uh, deviated, it's completely corrupted to mean an imposition of an industrial fisheries that will control the entire ocean. Um, what we have here now is all the spillouts and all the um, trickle-downs and all the, the results of an industrial policy that that is poised to alienate all traditional type of fisheries, which includes your small scale. The other thing with small scale is the, the interpretation of small scale, which is so ironic about this government, so unique, is small scale does not translate into a smaller scale of what there is. It, it translates into pure subsistence fishing. It is not uh, where you redistribute of the bulk of those resources which resides in the offshore on the big conglomerates. 
It means creating another little addendum on the side, a little wart growing out on the side, a policy that's the SFFP, and in there we will we will dictate the, the, the regulations. We only all we receive in the small scale policy is a set of regulations and instructions that is no good for any development or any um, forward in, empowerment of fishes. It's a, just a, a handbook of instructions that tells us you will only live from this, you will only do it. It's so restrictive and it's so fish unfriendly that I, I don't know why people are trying to support that type of thing. Number one, I'll take the other um, aspect of this, and that is the basket of, of fisheries resources the government is talking about. This is also pie in the sky. That basket has no base because whatever they show us they put in the top does never, never seems to stay in that basket. We think whiskers, lobster, abalone, and the uh, lionfish, that will be the only three value, so-called valuable species in a basket that is, that is being uh, designed to, to establish and to build small-scale fishes upon. There already we go, we are off the mark. We need to have resources viable enough and of the quantum and, 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 and size or tonnage enough to be able to grow a small-scale industry. Now we are, we are placed in, co- in direct competition of these big guys, but in a very unbalanced uh, playing field. Now, this evening, uh, we've been speaking about various issues related to the challenges facing fishermen. Uh, fishermen are demanding the immediate suspension of the West Coast and Ag Lobster uh, fishing rights allocation process. They want the West Coast and Ag Lobster offshore allocations shifted from big companies to near shore and small-scale fishers. Now, many fishermen and, fish and women say the department had failed to make provision for the small-scale fisheries policy in terms of the resources required to create buckets of species that would make economic sense during the 2013 and 2015 to 2016 fishing rights allocation process. They say that we now have a situation where the rich get richer and uh, the poor become poorer. Joining us online now is uh, Sipokazin Dudani, Deputy Director General. Uh, okay, she's not with us yet, but uh, we'll be getting her soon. Also, we have Charles America, representative of Ocean View, uh, Witsand Artisanal Fishers Association. We also have uh, Pedro Garcia, South African United Fishers Front uh, Chairperson. And of course, uh, we'll be speaking a little bit more about uh, uh, the issue. Uh, we, we do welcome your comments on uh, 47913, 47913, also 072. Two three eight zero seven one two zero seven two two three eight zero seven one two. I have to ask uh, for those sending on WhatsApp. Please do keep to topic. I've seen various other messages coming through this evening, but I have to ask you. I have to implore you to keep to the topic of discussion this evening. We are discussing, uh, you know, the the fishing uh, industry, and of course, uh, um, I think uh, we are now joined online by uh, Deputy Director General uh, Sipokazi Dudani, uh, who will be uh, taking up uh, the second half of this program along with our other guests. Uh, Deputy Director uh, Ndudazani, shukran so much for joining us this evening. Uh, Deputy Director uh, Ndudani, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for taking the time this evening to engage on the issue at hand. Um, I want to drive straight into it and ask uh, the question. Look, obviously, there's a lot of frustration amongst uh, fishing communities. Uh, how is the department responding to the grievances uh, at this time? Uh, good evening to yourself and evening to your listeners as well. Um, I want to just make indicate that we 
on Monday, just to take a recap on this issue, we received a memorandum uh, from a group of people that had come to our building, and there was a list of grievances uh, that was put there. And one of the demands that they had made was to meet with the minister within seven days. They had submitted uh, the memorandum. So we responded to that issue. A meeting was held with the minister, uh, with the fishing community leaders that came. Uh, This meeting was held on Sunday, which is yesterday. And it was agreed on the meeting that there will be a follow-up meeting today. And that meeting happened today, a follow-up meeting. It happened at 2 o'clock today. But I want to also emphasize that the fishing community leaders we met with both yesterday, Sunday, and today, are not necessarily inclusive of all fishing communities. So we have put a plan to do further consultations that are broader than the Western Cape that are also encompassing all the four coastal areas. And this is something that uh, I kept emphasizing, that fishing in our coastline uh, borderlines four coastal provinces, Northern Cape, Western Cape, Eastern Cape, and KZN. So we're putting out a plan of um, uh, intensifying our community engagement with the fishing communities. Uh, now, uh, Deputy Director, I also want to ask the question then. Um, the main concerns we hear are that the department's policies seek to further dispossess small-scale f- fishers and small-scale fishing communities uh, of their fishing rights. How, do, how would you respond to this? Um, this is definitely not true. Let me give history and background a little bit of the matter. In 2007 there was an equality court judgment that was saying to the then Department of Environmental Affairs and Tourism that as the department, we were not giving access to the fishing communities and the bona fide fishers. Because what had happened is that the rights allocation or access to fishing was predominantly occupied by commercial companies. And then we had a very little bit of a recreational component and a bit of subsistence, but the subsistence was not a fully-fledged uh, fishery. So we were compelled by the Equality Court to correct this wrong. Now you will uh, uh, agree that we are sitting here to correct the wrong that has many years uh, and issues of backlog in it. To, to, to mention that since 2008 then, There was a long consultative process with the department uh, led by um, groups like Masifundis, for instance, uh, Professor Muniba Isaacs uh, of the University of Western Cape. They were the forerunners in terms of assisting the department in uh, in developing this this policy. In developing this policy, I'm so sorry. It's at night. My children are trying. Not, to not at all. Not at all, ma'am. As well, uh, so, so the policy was developed. So the policy was developed since 2008, and there was a consultative process, as I say. So, understandably, the time has lapsed, and it's so many years since that time. 
But what has happened is that we have now have the small-scale fisheries policy signed into law by the president in 2015 February. And that signing saw ushered a new uh, policy or a new amendment on the current policy so that we can be able to allocate uh, rights to communities. So what happened was that, uh, maybe let me explain this as well. The rights allocation are tied within years. For instance, if rights were allocated in 2005 and they become 10-year rights, then they can, or they can next be allocated in 2015. So rights that were allocated in 2013 were 10-year rights, and they can only be allocated in 2020. So in 2013, I want to agree that the department, unfortunately, did not put aside some uh, fish to be allocated to the communities. Although I was not in the department at the time, but I can appreciate the difficulties at the time when rights were allocated in 2013 because there was no legislation in place that was enabling the department. So it means, so it means that the rights that would have been allocated in 2015, set aside for small-scale fishing communities, would not have been utilized because, one, there was no legislation that was enabling us to do so. So in 2015, as I say, the president signed into law the, 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 the amendment to the policy. And in this rights allocation, we were allocating 10 sectors. And we have set aside in each every sector an allocation for small scale. So we have not disenfranchised the fishing community. Um. We have put aside fish. But I must correct the issue as well that is it enough? It can never be enough because fish is a depletable natural resource and it can never be enough because you have small scale to accommodate. You have got SMMEs to accommodate and you have got big companies who are already running businesses and all the spectrum of uh, uh, sectors need to be accommodated. And this is the reason we are saying for community and fishing communities, we want to look beyond just the fish and the allocation of fish. We want to look at alternative livelihoods. What are other economic activities that can form part within the fishing communities? Um, like boat building, for instance, net building, for instance, and other ecotourism activities that could be part of that. Fish farming, for instance. So it's a whole lot of things. So it is not true that we have not put aside an allocation for small scale. What is being contested is the amount that we have set aside that it is not enough. And as I say, it will be difficult to make it enough because it would mean we must literally take everything from big companies and transfer it completely to the small scale. It cannot happen. Um, but but the question also is then, should we not be giving recognition uh, to these small-scale fishermen in terms of their contribution to the existing economy? Also, what fishermen are saying is there's this legacy of fishing and subsistence fishing, uh, particularly along our coastal regions, has been going on for so many years. Uh, the quotas have been restrictive uh, in terms of that. And what people are saying is we're not giving recognition to people who are not necessarily... Uh, in terms of the estimation with the imbalance, if we look at corporate uh, fishing trawlers, uh, uh, 
uh, fishing in the same ocean, we find that this, f- this small-scale fishermen does not impact uh, heavily on the eco- ecology and on uh, you know uh, sustainable. And some might argue even that small-scale fishing is more sustainable than uh, your, your corporate sector. So, uh, should we not then be giving recognition to the small-scale uh, fishermen in the sense, and should we not be looking at ways in which we, apart from uh, what you've mentioned about opening up other sectors and other ways and means for them, for a lot of fishermen out there, the only thing they know is the ocean and fishing. So is, is there no way the department can, ma- can, 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 can preserve this, this, which in a sense is part of the heritage? Um, I, I think I have partly answered what you are saying. I cannot run away from the fact that for many years there was no access that was given. But I think at the same time we need to appreciate the balance that has to be created here. For instance, let's just talk on the West Coast rock lobster that seems to be a sector in question. Before there was rights allocation, there was what was given to the fishermen, the, fi- the true fishermen, which was called interim relief, which was meant to be interim at the time while we developed the policy. Unfortunately, it took very long. We ended up with interim 12, which means it took about 12 years. So what the department did was to recognize that there was a limitation with regards to the policy, the development of the policy. And the department made an allocation, which I call interim relief. And under interim relief, of course, it was not everybody that could be accommodated, but there was an adjustment that was made and a provision that was made for small-scale fishers. Now we have allocated fishing rights, and we made exactly that same provision. We took about 50% of the allocation for near-shore commercial so that we put it aside for small-scale we have taken 20% of the big commercial allocation for lobster, and we have put it aside for small scale. So we are making some adjustments. What people may say is that they are not enough. And as I say, a depletable resource, unfortunately, we may not be able to cover everybody. But there are adjustments that are being made, and we have made strides vis-a-vis the time we were 2013 when the rights were being allocated. Now, you are talking about true fishermen who all they know in their life is fishing. Now, the community cooperatives are exactly for that purpose, so that even if a fisher loses out in terms uh, of the participation, in terms of getting the fish itself, but can participate within a fishing community cooperative. So in a fishing cooperative, you have people that can fish, you have people who can process the fish, and then you have people that can do marketing of the fish. So it's a whole unit that is trying to look at the value chain of the things so that you can be able to accommodate as many people as possible. Fishing is a seasonal activity. What do people do when the season is off? People can be in the factory processing the fish. They can be marketing the fish to prolong the time that they can participate within the activities. Um, I, I want to go back, uh, just looking at quotas, and obviously there's a strong belief that imposing quotas while also ignoring the high-tech Chinese trawlers and other big fishing companies with their hands in the, in the same pie is creating, as we mentioned, an unequal economy. 
Um, and and in, on, on top of that, also uh, before uh, before the segment, when we were speaking to uh, you know f- uh, fishing fishing rights organisations uh, before the break, uh, they would mentioned that they feel that there is this domination of the corporate sector within the fishing industry, and I have to put it that they feel that there is a preference in terms of a government uh, at looking and seeing to the needs of corporate fishing uh, before. Uh, small-scale and, and, and shoreline fisher and fishing uh, fishing institutions, so to speak. How would you respond to that in light of um, you know in light, I, in light I, of what I, you I mentioned? Actually, I didn't get to the part about the Chinese uh, okay, but l- 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 Maybe yes, if you can just repeat that. Uh, well, well, just just saying that. Um, obviously, as I mentioned, there's a strong belief that imposing quotas, uh, you know, particularly on on, on small-scale fishers, while also ignoring the high-tech Chinese trawlers that are you know uh, operating and also other big fishing companies as we mentioned the corporate fishing entity is uh, all, all vying for the same for the same pie so to speak is creating an unequal economic situation um and 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 the question is firstly how does government respond to that, that okay, to that claim okay. but then also okay. again like i've mentioned before the break when speaking to fishing organizations they also felt that there's a corporate dominance but they also feel strongly if you speak to them uh, that government in a sense sides with or gives support to okay, uh, corporate see. entities above uh, you know your full small scale fishers I understand. You have raised a, a mixture of things. Let me take and break down uh, this issue in pieces. The first part with regard to the Chinese trawlers, this uh, um, impression is incorrect because in the South African space, we govern the fishing through a piece of legislation called the Marine Living Resources Act. And our act does not allow foreign fishing vessels to fish in our waters. It doesn't allow it. Any fishing vessel that fishes in the South African waters needs to carry a South African flag. That's one. So there is no Chinese trawlers that are being afforded an opportunity in South African waters or any other vessels from any other country for that matter. Because as I say, we don't allow foreign fishing. The second issue, let me also make a a distinction here. The small-scale fisheries is not on the offshore species and high seas species. The definition of the small-scale fisheries is, is near-shore species. So in the commercial sector, there are species, for instance, that can never be allocated to small-scale fishers for the basic reasons that they are offshore, they are further away, they need capital, they, those sectors are capital-intensive you kind of need really serious machinery to go there and do the fishing. So those species are not species of contention with small scale. The species that are for small scale are near shore species like West Coast rock lobster, like abalone, like squid, like lionfish, like mussels, like oysters, uh, like abalone. So I want us to make that clarity so that there does not seem to be a competition here between the trawlers and the small scale or the offshore resources. Now, coming to the last part, you are addressing that there's an impression that the department seems to be preferring the commercial. This statement is also, um, as far as I know, may not necessarily be true. 
I'm saying this on two accounts. Maybe you might have seen or heard the news that the department was taken to court by a big company called Viking Insure. Mm-hmm. We went to court uh, on Viking Insure, and this big company was taking the department to court because they were claiming we have taken their rights for the, from them. We have reduced their rights to give to other players. And this is true because we wanted to increase the participation of the players in the sector. So we opened it up for new players and we gave it to the people, to other people in the sector and others who already had rights in other sectors. So if this statement is correct, that we seem to be favoring big companies, why would big companies then be taking us to court on the basis that we have reduced their allocations? So the issue is that we are treating the big companies as much as we are looking at all the other sectors. We need to reduce it. Again, as I'm saying to you, on the lobster, for instance, offshore, we cut 20% of the quota from the big companies. And the big companies were complaining that we have cut 20%. They were saying it is too much. And when you go to the other side, the small-scale fishers are complaining. They are saying it is too little. You should have taken much more from the big companies. So as I'm saying to you, I'm demonstrating that we have cut from the big companies. And it is not that we are giving them any special preference at all. But let me quickly admit that in the past, there may be, have been instances, because as I say to you, I've been with the department for over two and a half years. It could be that there have been instances in the past where big companies were seen to have been given preference over small scale. And I do think that there exists some evidence that indeed we preferred commercial uh, big companies vis-a-vis that. Even that, should if it has happened, I think it comes from the history I've just painted that for a very long time, Fishing was seen as an economic activity just for companies and big companies. So understandably, if these companies have got long-standing relations with the department, you may understand that they may have undue influence uh, within the department if they had had that long preference uh, before. But I am categorically stating that this picture has changed, and it has changed drastically. That's why they are taking us to court. And then finally, so um, just uh, looking at, um, we, we spoke about Chinese fishing trawlers. I am sitting with an article from the 19th of May 2016. This appeared on Mail Guardian's website where they were talking about specifically, I think it was about, uh, if not mistaken, uh, 12, uh, 12 boats, um, well, no, 14 vessels actually, that was found to be off uh, the Saldana Bay coast. Um, uh, these were Chinese vessels, and uh, obviously, um, I think these were illegal vessels yes. you are talking about. Yes. Just that I don't have the article that you, you are referring yes. to in front of me, uh, but I do suspect these are the illegal vessels because we often mm. have trawlers, not of the Chinese only, uh, mm. we have from other countries like Indonesia as well, mm. that illegally enter into our waters and try to fish. And that is why we use the four patrol vessels that we are having to patrol our coastline. And from time to time, we arrest them. I do think you might have seen previously on the news where we even caught about three of these trawlers. We brought them to the Cape Town Harbor, and they get arrested, and they get charged, Mm. and they forfeit the vessels to the state. 
I think that is what you are talking about. And these yes. are not legal issues at all that are granted access by our government. Um, and then also, um, if, we, if we look at what has been said, and I, I want to uh, maybe just uh, revisit some of the points that we raised or, or that came out of the discussion earlier that we had with some of the fishing, uh, fishing rights organizations. Um, the, sense, the sentiment that um, if we're looking at uh, uh, resources at well, being deferred to big companies, um, obviously we've spoken about Rug Lobster. Um, from the department's point of view, can we categorically state or with the department's position that there is no preferential treatment given to uh, corporate uh, entities in the, fishing, in the fishing industry? As the Deputy Director General of Fisheries Management, in the two and a half years I have been with the department, I have not given any special preference to any company or to any individual. I have not done so. And as I say, I can attest to that and I can say to you, this is the reason why we cut the quotas of big companies and they ended up dragging us to court, of which court case we won, by the way. And we have cut the quota of the big companies by 20% on the lobster section. There is evidence to this that I can provide to you. And I can categorically and confidently say so. And I dare challenge anybody in South Africa or anybody within the fishing community to come with evidence that I, myself, as the Deputy Director General, the Delegated Authority of Fisheries at the moment, has ever given preference to any big company. I dare challenge that person to come out and provide the evidence. And on the strong words, uh, Deputy Director General, Department of Agriculture, Forestry and Fisheries, Sipakazi Ndudani, thank you so much, ma'am, for joining us this evening. Uh, we do appreciate your time uh, on the program. You're welcome. Thank you. Take care and have a fantastic evening. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're going to take a break now. When we come back, uh, we continue engaging. We will still have Charles America, representative of Ocean View with Sand uh, Artisanal Fishers Association. Also, Pedro Garcia, South African United Fishers Front chairperson. Uh, and uh, we'll be engaging on uh, the issue regarding should government suspend the lobster fishing rights location. Uh, we've heard what the governor has, had, has said about uh, the issue. Um, I want to start off with uh, Pedro and, and, and just ask the question, you've heard what the minister, what, you've heard what the deputy director has had to say around uh, the issue of fishing, saying that uh, from government side, uh, there's not been any preferential treatment given to uh, uh, corporate uh, entities within the fishing industry. How do you respond to that? Um, thank you. I, I think, first of all, um, she's also acknowledged that there, there was the, the historical um, imbalances which may have existed. And given the fact that we're dealing uh, with rights allocations that last over years, that imbalances may still exist. And we believe that it does exist. But it might not have been in a time, but it definitely is there. So um, she, uh, it was probably incumbent upon her then to, to, to correct those imbalances one way or another, whether it is by exercising political will or whether it is by, by, by just um, ensuring that we, we can create sustainable livelihoods for our people. The, the second point I'd like to make, and, and, and I thank her for her candor um, in her response, uh, she, she alluded to the, uh, um, to the offshore 
and and the and the near shore small scale saying that that the two are, are completely separate uh, i i must dis- respectfully disagree with that because we're dealing with shared resources and uh, the one definitely impacts on the other we have many uh, species we have migratory species uh, seasonal species um, and these species come into to certain into their breeding grounds they have migratory patterns and they come in from the deep and in many cases, if they're targeted by, by the larger industry, um, then those fish can't make it to, to the normal uh, fishing grounds, which are accessible by the small-scale fishing communities. So the one definitely impacts on the other, make no mistake about that. And that is an issue that has to be addressed. The, the other point that she raises that is that uh, um, because of the passive gear, uh, which is used by small-scale fishers, um, uh, they won't have access to, to the offshore rights. I, I find that uh, to be a fundamental flaw in the system, because as much as, as any South African, um, and, and I think it could actually contribute significantly to the cooperative system which they are promoting, what, what is wrong with a cooperative owning an offshore right to, 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 to supplement um, the, the, the small-scale uh, um, resources which have been given to, to, this, to the communities, uh, given the fact that we are already sitting with, with, with depleted resources, uh, we, we're battling to put a basket of species together, which makes economic sense. What stops uh, um, cooperatives then from having access to offshore rights or any normal South African citizen uh, residing in a fishing community? I, I think that that is definitely worth uh, having a relook. Um, so the, the, the issue around offshore, nearshore um, doesn't uh, add up to, to uh, our people not having access to offshore rights, most certainly not. Um, so that, that are just two of the issues that, that I'd like to, to comment on. And then also, um, I want to be very emphatic here around the, 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 the current burning issue, which is West Coast Rock Lobster. In, in our memorandum, we had stated very clearly that the West Coast Rock Lobster, or the, the, the recommended cuts, uh, to the current West Coast Rock Lobster total allowable catch would have devast- is poised to have devastating uh, um, to have a devastating impact on our fishing communities. We did not say that the West Coast Rock Lobster is the basis for our protest. The basis for our protest uh, is 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 a, it's a global uh, concern around livelihoods in our communities. These li- the livelihoods that are being compromised already. It's creating so much uh, disruptions in our community. Our social fabric is, co- is collapsing because our people don't have an income. Now, our, our, our objective here is, is not to target the, the West Coast Rock Lobster in particular, but the reason we have also focused on it is because it's one of the key species which can add to a basket of species to make economic sense at the end of the day. Our concern is that if the West Coast Rock Lobster is not stopped now, then it will, it will carry on for the next 15 years and it will be put out of the reach of our people completely. What we are saying is remedy the situation now and then reallocate. Then at least you know that your, your small-scale fishers now have substantial allocations which can make economic sense. 
And then also, I just want to bring in uh, uh, also, uh, also Pedro, while you're on the line, I want to bring in um, Charles again and ask the question. Um, we've heard what the minister, uh, what, what the deputy, uh, deputy director had to say, and one of the things that she mentioned was the fact that um, uh, we, we want to look at, especially for those people who rely on the ocean, uh, to find, to populate uh, those skills elsewhere, to find uh, ways for them uh, elsewhere in the system to be able to uh, be productive and to be able to, to, to uh, should I say, uh, um, make a living. How do you feel about that in, in, in light of, um, of, as we mentioned also, the fact that yeah. there's so many people yeah. who only know the ocean? Yeah, now, uh, what is so ironic, uh, what is so contradictory about the Deputy Director General's speech is um, she deviates from the actual, the core of our, our issues and our problems. And that is, number one, the frack system that they introduced. They were, they were forewarned and they were actually cautioned and they were recommended to scrap the frack system, the 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016 frack system because it is fraught with corruption. They found officials actually uh, making uh, precluded deals, uh, predetermined deals, and handing out allocations, interfering politically with the with the process, and that has been found to be by two investigate, um, forensic investigating uh, uh, processes. It's found to be flawed. The deputy director general still allows that to run in her time now. So that already tells me that that there's a lot of work. Although she inherited this problem, it's her responsibility. It's her obligation to clean that out. Secondly, she talks about Viking fishing. Viking fishing um, is a, a, a small company compared to your Oceanas, your Pamotis, your, your um, Sikunjalos, and your Brimstones. That's a small company compared to them. And she, they, they've taken away uh, 60% or so of the inshore hike. But then again, they did not say that I went to the small scale. It's not going there. She already precluded that there won't be any hike in the small scale. So that automatically goes to guys that I personally know has already bought, has invested in new storing vessels in the inshore. That's not necessarily part of the small scale. But they are well connected politically. The other point is when, when she talks about um, uh, the offshore and the nearshore, the problem I have is she already, she already determined the, the demise of the small-scale fishery when she said it is not necessarily suited or equipped for offshore. But as um, my friend has just said there, if you have a cooperative and it's well-resourced, then you can acquire the rights or joint ventures to start off with to become part of the, 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 the offshore fishery. But why, why confine us to, to the inshore resource where anybody has a, a share in, and there is near depletion. Why do that? That is now really uh, uh, condemning us to, to, to death. That is, uh, uh, that's a, a sentence, a death sentence on us. We need to be able to, as a small scale, if that is what they want us to be, they, they need to allow us to participate in the entire aspect of fishes, which includes the 22 or so quota uh, uh, regulated species and all the other permit uh, governed species as well, which includes your higher value species. Why would they say near shore and, and, and term that as the small scale fisheries? That already in itself is, is contradictory to what, what the ideals are. And as an applicant in the equality court case, I've been part of that. The, the court order very clearly, very, very decisively stated 
to recognize, restore, redistribute and protect those rights, those customary living rights of fishermen that is being harmed and disadvantaged through colonial and apartheid years. Now, what we have here, we have exactly the replica of those things happening, but in a different dress. There's no improvement to it. They just put a different dress and spin on this thing. But if you look at those very big companies that the DDG is now, she cannot deny the fact that they are highly responsive to those over-subsidized and under-regulated big companies that cannot even harvest their, their annual catches. They leave that in the water. That becomes a rollover. But that does not apply for the near shore or, or small-scale fisher. If you cannot, um, if you haven't got the capacity to land your catch, you lose that catch. The same thing, thing should apply for offshore people. If you cannot, if you if you cannot manage to land that huge quota that is given to you, you should it should be forfeited. You should forfeit that. It should be taken back and revert and then reallocated to those small guys like myself and fishers that can can land that catch. Um, uh, it's not that we focus on whiskers of lobster uh, specifically, but that being the resource that everybody is now banding around. That is one of the many resources that makes up big snook, for example. Snook is being intercepted now. I know of guys on the IJ trawlers and uh, the big trawlers that boast that they land 115 tons of snooks that they intercepted and stripped and they discarded their catch to bring in that snook. And then they go back and there's a never-ending cycle of depletion taking place. And whether we like it or not, whether the DDG denies it, the responsiveness of government towards big business is based on one particular thing, and that is that most of those political connected cronies are now occupying directors' positions, shareholders' positions, and that in that big companies. That is formerly white, they've now become a, a rented black company. Uh, Charles, I must uh, at that moment. I, I have to. I have to end with this segment. We do have another guest still coming up, but I want to say thank you uh, to you and also to Pedro for joining us and and sharing your views on on the topic this evening. And perhaps at another time we'll pick up the discussion. Thank you very much. Yes, I would. I would. I would enjoy that if we could have a further discussion on this matter. Thank you so much thank to you, so you much. as well as to Pedro Garcia, Pedro Garcia, South African United Fishers Front Chairperson, and then also Charles American representative of Ocean View Vitsant. Artisanal Fishers Association uh, joining us uh, this evening. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Now we're now joined online by Ikramuddin Halim, Hard Bay Fishers Community Trust, also Dinah Klassen and Successful Nearshore Fishers in Zone B in Doring Bay. Of course, tonight the topic should government suspend the lobster fishing rights allocation and, of course, uh, the fight for, su for survival of our fishing communities. Uh, this is something that I think touches close to many of our hearts, um, and particularly those who grew up uh, in, in, in a family uh, where, f where, where fishing was, was, was the means. Um, and of course it's sad uh, and hard so to hear the plight of our fishing communities, many of whom had fishing in their blood and uh, as being part of the DNA. Um, I, I, I want to start off by firstly greeting my guests. Uh, Assalamu alaikum and uh, good evening. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, uh, wa alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Thank you so much uh, for joining us this evening. 
I want I want to start off and I want to go. Uh, I'll start off with permits. Uh, this has been something that's been quite contentious. Some people have been on the waiting list for permits for years. Uh, now people who are not allocated a permit can appeal, but this is a time-consuming process with no guarantees of success. Take us through this, um, uh, particularly uh, if we look. Obviously, if we're looking at uh, so-called new uh, entrants into the system, I want to start off with uh, Ikramuddin, inshallah. Okay then. First, I would like to say next. Our permitting system started way back when a new government got in place. It was first a different name and then another name, and now it's called the Yeshua Fishing Right. And then you get another one is a small scale fishing right, a small scale fishing sector, but it's a different one. The Yeshua Right is the one with the individual permitting. It was first for a short term. Then it was the medium term, this is now the long term, which means it was for five years, then ten years, now this is for 15 years. Now the fishers are no more fighting for rights. They are fighting for survival. With, uh, what does it spend? Um, firstly, the recommendation is not, uh, the cut, not uh, approved. It's not decided that it was a recommendation made by the government to, uh, to, uh, to install the cuts. But coming back to the permit issue, they made the people and uh, they made them apply under false pretenses. Because when they said that everybody can apply, they didn't talk about elderly people over 65 that won't be accommodated. They didn't also say that you can turn. It is a category C. They categorize it from category A. It is a people that had rights and are now applying again. And they were category B. Those are people that had rights in other sectors or totally rights in other sectors that also apply. Now, category C. It's all the people that didn't have any rights never in their life. Now, when they apply, they didn't say anything about those things of categorizing the fishers in there. When the provisional list came out, when the application was in and everything, and now the provisional list came out of the successful people that was in the provisional list, not the final list, when that term came out, there was only one from out there on that list. So what happened was that the people sent in comments and everything went wire because it was now... And 90 to 10, they say they're going to cut 90% from the near shore to accommodate the small scale. So which means only there was only 10% left in the near shore application that could be successful. It was targeted and then it was changed to a 50-50 cut. 50% going to small scale and 50% for the near shore. So the percentage came, it was 75 that came out first, 75 successful applicants. It is now across the whole coast. And then when, the, when it was changed to 50%, 40%, there was 410 applicants successful. And now that's only 10 from that 410. So it's, 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 it's unacceptable, in fact. But now what the point is, the basis with which how they did it, they never said the people were not going to be successful when they applied. So they got all that money for all that applications. And when the provision was how they made that statement, now in that way it's almost like it's uh, illegal to let officials do that. So that's how I think the whole system is flawed. And then the people that got a lot of them is what you call paper quotas. There are a lot of paper quotas around. People that's not actually involved in fishing that also have the rights. So that's thing that needs to be looked in. So what we uh, suggested was that the whole prep process was suspended and be relooked. But I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know. Um. I would just like to bring in uh, Diana here for a moment and then also talk about the fact that uh, um, it's been said uh, that uh, 
the communication with uh, the Department of Agriculture, Forestries and Fisheries hasn't been uh, that good. And people are saying there are problems uh, when, uh, th- that they never respond to meetings. Some fishermen would say that there's a sense of arrogance and rudeness of officials who seem to think that they are are above the law or that they can treat communities as it suits them. This has been the sentiment uh, from uh, f- uh, people within the industry, from fishermen as such, small-scale fishermen particularly. What is what what is your opinion on, 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 on these sentiments? Good evening. I'm Diana Clausen from Dora by the West Coast. I agree to all what the previous caller said. I'm a fisherwoman now, actively for eight years, and I we, I came from a fishing background, and it's 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 sad the way that Duff handled the whole application uh, system. <coughs> Firstly, they ignore fishing women. We are only two active fishing women in Jurangbai. And the one lady got the right, and I got nothing. I had to transfer right after my... Come again? Uh, continue. You can you may continue. After my my husband drowned in Ireland's Bay 2009, the right, I applied for the right in 2009, and they only approved it in 2016. And, and, and then when the long-term rights expired... I had to apply as a new entrant, and 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 I think it's unacceptable that they exclude fishing people that have a historical fishing background. They grew up with the source as an income from the whole system, and 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 the way that they treat the fishermen and women uh, is really it's, it's ridiculous. It's sad. It's humiliating, as I said. It, 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 it's really unfair. And we had a, a meeting yesterday in Colby, and all the issues was raised. There was a team, that, a negotiation team that went in with the minister, with Sipukasi, the DDG from DAF, and the other officials. But we, we wasn't satisfied was the outcome of the of the meeting. So we had a meetings in the in the in a couple of days with the minister and the officials. The the, the fact is this the the system are corrupt. They are just they are just totally ignorant towards the needs of the fisher folk. And if we look back into before 1994, uh, 1994, years before the election, we also had to, had to fight against the corrupt system that the previous regime used. And it is really sad that our current government used the same mechanisms that, they, that the previous regime used. The way they treat the fishermen and women, and, and as in now, nobody knows what the two comes. The, the, the future holds in. 
Um, I just want to, Dinah, uh, we are running out of time, but I have to ask you this one question. Um, since the meeting with, uh, with the DA, uh, if, if, what has been your demands? What, what has been your, 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 your demands to the, to the department? And um, uh, what, what, what did you take away from that meeting? Uh, the, the, the quotas must be given back to the people, like the nearshore people. The fact that they took 90% of the source and gave it to the small scale, and they, they only left the nearshore fishers with a, a poorly 10%. And the fact that they must, they must, they must look into the fact that, that the women are excluded totally from the whole process, and that they must turn, try and turn things over, and the time is very short. The appeals will end on the 13th, 13th or the 14th uh, October, so we, we are just waiting anxiously to see. And the fact that you must appeal, you are, you are the uh, active fisherman, fisherwoman for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and suddenly you don't have a right. Things things are very are very difficult. It's it's now survival, totally survival. There's no they are preaching uh, um, radical economical transformation, but there's none of it. And so the outcome yesterday was they must give back the quotas to the to the long term, the previous long term right holders of Nearshore, and they must also look into the fact that they must lead the people. They took the, the money, the three hundred and eighty rent. Uh, they, they asked for the application for the new entrance, and they was misleading the the talk because right after the the decisions was was taken by the the DDD of TAF, the sheet uh, user. Authority and took a decision that no new entrance and it's not negotiable. Um, Dinah uh, and uh, Ikramuddin, I want to say uh, shukran and thank you for joining us. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. There's so much more that I wanted to ask you, but of course, uh, perhaps at the next, next program, we might be able to pick up the conversation. Uh, once again, shukran and thank you for joining us this evening on The Burning Issue. Thank you so much. Good evening. Good evening. Assalamu alaikum.